Welcome to the Tobin School Podcast. This is Mr. Gordon. This week, our science and math specialist, Ms. Carter, stops by to discuss her love of the scientific method, the book The Given Tree by Shel Silverstein, and delivering pizza for dominoes in the 90s. Then our fabulous sixth grade student, Eliu, joins me to talk about his own podcast that he's been working on. Finally, I get to this week's Beard Power Rankings. We got a new beard in the top spot this week, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for being here. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ms. Carter. Welcome to the podcast. Like, thank you for having me. It is an honor. Oh well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you agreed. I know you are uh, one of one of the, the podcast's biggest fans, so uh, I really appreciate your your support as a listener. And it was only right to have you on as a guest. Um, and so since you're such an avid listener, you know the first question that's coming, Ms. Carter, which is um, each of us has a unique path that led us to the Tobin. Where does your story start and how did it lead you to the Tobin? Okay, I've been trying to shorten this in my mind, but it's, it's hard. It's a, long, it's a long story. Don't shorten. So, I, I can always edit after, Anna. So just okay. let, let it fly. Okay, so I grew up in Akron, Ohio, which is home to a spectacularly bearded new Red Sox owner, uh, LeBron James. But um, <laughs> I, I grew up in Akron and I went to the Akron public schools as a kid. And um, I, I went to kindergarten with Mrs. Webb and I loved kindergarten and I had first grade um, with Mrs. Baxter, Yvonne Baxter, and she was just a fabulous, fabulous first grade teacher. She was so warm and caring and she taught all of us so much and we had lots of fun um, throughout the day and the year, it was wonderful. And about halfway through the year, um, Ms. Baxter, Ms. Baxter had me start also going to um, second grade for reading and math and I had Ms. Jubin and Ms. Jubin was fabulous and she had a, a puppet that she used and I loved first grade and I loved second grade. Um, and then the following year, um, I was actually moved on to third grade and that started what I would say is about nine years where for about 80 to 90% of the day, every single day, I was completely unengaged with school. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really remember a lot about what was taught for most of the years, but I, it wasn't differentiated. It wasn't challenging. It didn't seem meaningful to me. It wasn't like creative or student-led, student student-centered. And um, I just kind of tuned out <laughs> for almost the entire time. So I would be like drawing or doodling, um, things like that. Um, I remember for many stretches, even in like high school or middle school, I would like make one arm fall asleep and then I'd shake it out. <laughs> I make <laughs> the other arm fall asleep and then I'd shake it out. And I would just, you know, for almost, I just was not engaged. And um, there were there were times when I was, you know, my sixth grade teaching team, they were wonderful. So I had I had a great time in sixth grade. It was creative, differentiated, fun, group work. And I had maybe a handful of high school teachers where I also was really engaged in their in their um, classes. And I, I always enjoyed, you know, PE <laughs> music. I had music classes, but for the most part, I just was not really uh, present. I wasn't having a good time. I just kind of went because that's what people did. And I wasn't disruptive. You know, it didn't occur to me to be disruptive. I definitely went every day and I didn't complain, but I was just not, not really there and not doing any of the work. And nobody, you know, when I look back as a teacher, I say, nobody, nobody said anything to my parents. Nobody said anything to me. I was just kind of there, you know, and it was, it was really boring. Um, and so uh, when I got to the end of high school, it was sort of the family expectation that I would go to college. And um, I am a good test taker. I had pretty good test scores, which in the 90s <laughs> meant a lot. And um, I had a couple of high school teachers who wrote me good recommendations. And so I did get into college and I, I went to um, Wesleyan University in Connecticut, which is where Ms. Sikder and Ms. Sinama also went. Um, and when I got to Wesleyan, I fell flat on my face because I didn't, I had never worked before and I didn't have 
uh, I didn't have knowledge. I didn't have executive function skills. I didn't have study skills. I didn't know how to write. You know, I didn't know how to sit down and, and put together a paper. It was very, very difficult for me. And, um, you know, uh, luckily I had like jazz orchestra and I was able to pass that, you know, but I withdrew from some classes. It was, it was really hard. I had to um, work hard to figure out and teach myself these skills on my own in college. Um, but my, um, my RA in the dorm, the resident advisor, she ran the tutoring program at the local elementary school in Middletown, Connecticut. So she recruited all of her dorm um, kids to be tutors with this program. And so I tutored with this program starting as a freshman and I got this great kid named James. And um, it was really eye-opening for me because James was just like me. <laughs> you know, He was completely unengaged. It didn't seem meaningful to him, but he was this wonderful, bright, exciting um, little kid. And so I had a really great time working with James and trying to help him build skills and see why things would be meaningful. We worked together for a couple Couple years. Um, and um, at that point, I was a sophomore and I was still, I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of a major. I'd taken lots of different classes, but I was really behind in terms of self-knowledge. You know, I was still sort of catching up and figuring things out. So I took a semester off um, and I got an internship in Washington, D.C. at um, at a school because I was thinking, I really like this tutoring thing. Maybe I could, maybe I could go for this. And um, where I went to in Washington DC is called was called Children's Studio School. And it was uh, kind of operating like a charter, but all of the teachers were professional artists, architects, musicians, writers, printmakers, and a lot of them had taught at the college level and they were teaching kids ages three through 10, everything through the arts. And um, it just blew my mind how wonderful the program was and kids were running into school and they were completely engaged they were just loving the work and it was really really meaningful and exciting and um you know i thought wow this is what school can be you know these kids are, are loving it you know i helped uh, this one teacher was an architect he's now a city planner down in dc but he ran a class called city as studio and there was a vacant lot in the uh, space next to the school. And so all these kids ages three to eight were researching the history of the neighborhood and all of the um, services in the neighborhood, what had been there before, what did the what did the neighborhood need? And they brainstormed what could go in this vacant lot. And then they had to design their plans and make their buildings and make maps and do facades for the building. And there was a lot of research involved and all these kids were so into it. And I thought, this is, I really want to be a part of this. Um, especially something that really shocked me was that um, at the studio school in that program, there were kids who had never been to school before who were three and four years old. And there were kids who were um, like seven and eight years old and had only been to studio school. And then there were kids who had been to um, other public schools. And the kids who had only been to studio school or who had never been to school at all dug right into creative projects. You know, like if they say, what are you going to build? They just dug right in and started building. And then some, you know, the kids who had been to regular public school were sitting there out of touch with themselves and their creativity. And they, um, they were looking around for someone to tell them what to do. Like, what should this look like when I'm done? You know, and that, that kind of broke my heart, you know, that there were kids who are, that maybe the school was actually even damaging in some ways, some of these kids. So by the time I left studio school in December, I had decided, you know, I had pretty much decided I want to be a part of making school better for kids. Um, but when I went back to, I, I actually did a a program abroad in Spain and then I went back to college, but my college didn't have a teaching major. And then I was also torn because at studio school, their motto was basically that you needed to learn something first. Like you needed to be an artist first or a professional first before you could teach kids. So the idea of going into a teaching program was kind of the opposite of their philosophy, you know? So I wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. So I tried majoring in music for a while, but um, uh, that's something that I like, but I'm not like passionate about. So um, I, I left that. And then I'd always taken government courses just for fun. So I had a lot of them under my belt. So I ended up finishing um, with a government degree 
And then I went looking for how, how to become a teacher from that point, you know, um, but I didn't want to go to teaching school because I didn't have respect for the profession at that time. Um, so I kind of went where people would hire me. I went to France for a while and I taught English to um, my cousin's toddler. I was in Nice for um, eight months, kind of like a big sister English teacher role. And then I went back to Akron. I substitute taught in Akron um, and I taught English for Berlitz. English is a second language for Berlitz. Um, so I was kind of learning and, and making sure I wanted to be a teacher. And then I actually had an opportunity to um, apply as a Spanish teacher for a private school in Chicago. So I applied for that. I auditioned there. And that was my first full-time job was teaching Spanish and law and government to high school students in Chicago. And it was near Garfield Park, so on the west side of Chicago. And um, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. It was a tremendous amount of work because I didn't know the first things. <laughs> so I was getting <laughs> up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, and then I'd, I'd go to school, I'd come home, I'd take a nap, then I'd work until like 1 a.m., you know, I'd repeat, right? Mm -hmm. But but I was it was so much fun. I learned so much from the kids. And so I was very happy to be in teaching, but I really wanted to get to younger kids and I wanted to have, um, you know, that experience of having a community and, and catching kids younger. So. Um, then I moved to Seattle because my family had moved out west at that point. I wanted to be with my family. And uh, I taught, I ran an after school program. And then I got a job at a special one on one school specializing in learning disabilities. And I worked there and, and managed a campus for a while. And then finally, I said, enough is enough. I want to be in public schools. Public schools are not going to hire me unless I have a teaching degree. <laughs> you know, no one's without, without student teaching, no one's going to have me run a classroom of little kids. So, uh, so I did. I got my master's in teaching um, in elementary ed, but with, um, I took a lot of special education courses too, and I um, student taught in a resource room in a second grade. And then I finally, I got a job teaching second grade in a, um, a suburb of Seattle. Um, and I taught second grade there for four years, which was wonderful. And that was like kind of how you went to the Tobin and you stayed there mm -hmm. forever. You know, I probably would still be there now. I was very happy and it was just so much fun teaching second grade great community. Um, but my husband got uh, finished school and got a job in, in the recession in 2011, got a job in Boston. And, um, you know, teachers can teach anywhere. So, so we moved, we moved out here. And <laughs> when we moved out here, I had my son, Charlie, and I stayed home with him for a year, then I wanted to get back into teaching. And um, I found a job in the bot, I wanted to be able to use my Spanish skills. So I found a job at the Dever, um, which was then the Dever McCormick in Harbor Point, um, Dorchester. And uh, Toledano was actually there at the time. Um, I think he was assistant uh, principal. And I taught third grade at the Dever. But that was very, very difficult for me that year because um, I hadn't counted upon being in a new district, a new grade level, um, a new school. And then I had a toddler at home. I had a one-year-old at home and I also had a big commute. And so, um, you know, I did okay. And by, by the end of the year, my, you know, my test scores were okay. We had a good, you know, math workshop and writer's workshop going and everything, but, but I had, um, it was at the expense of my health, you know, because I didn't want, I still spent time with my son and I did all the work I felt I needed to do to teach third grade, but I wasn't getting enough to, uh, enough sleep. I lost like 20 pounds in like a couple months. So I was a skeleton. Wow. And um, so at the end of that year, I said, okay, I need to take a step back while I have young kids. So then I tutored. Um, I had my second child and I, I tutored and took care of my kids for five years. Um, and then a former colleague of mine from the Dever told me that there was an opening at the Tobin and it could be part-time, like it could be like nine to two. And I said, okay, I'd love to try it. So, um, so I came and interviewed and here I am. So I started in 2017. Wow, 2017 as science specialist, which you are now science, science and math specialist. Yeah. Um, and so your prior experience teaching is being the classroom teacher second grade, third grade, you mentioned. Um, so similar to me, I used to be a classroom teacher and then I kind of transitioned to the specialty role a few years ago as well. Um, what, what do you miss about being the classroom teacher 
And then also, what do you love about being a specialist? Yeah, so being a sec, you know, being a classroom teacher is so special because you have that community of kids for so many hours. You know, like if you're a specialist and, you know, I was looking in some of my classes, I've seen 38 sessions by this point in the year, that's 38 hours. But as a homeroom teacher, you would have kids for 38 hours in just like a couple of weeks, you know? And so there's, when you have that same group of kids, you can just experience all those beautiful community building things. You know, we would have great parties and um, just, uh, just, just the community of, of having a homeroom was so beautiful and all of the parent relationships that I was able to build because it because I was just dealing with 25 children, you know, so you could have lots of we had lots of um, sort of family events and uh, just just I really miss the community of being um, a homeroom teacher and having having that one group for so many hours and building those deep relationships. Um, what I like about being a specialist is um, also something I enjoyed about being a high school teacher is when you teach the same, if, if you're lucky enough to have the same class, um, like let's say second grade science, um, but you have two separate home rooms in the same week, you can kind of optimize it, you know? So like mm -hmm. if, I, if I have, if I have Miss Hall's class and then I also have, um, you know, Miss, Romero's class and I'm teaching them both second grade math movement, you know, then like, then I can, I can make tweaks uh, right, right there within that, within that same day or that same week to teach it better the second time and really get more effective. Whereas with the, as an, as a homeroom teacher, you kind of have to wait till the whole next year runs right. around before you teach, you know, before you teach something um, the same way better. Right. So, yeah. You, you, you make a little note in your binder and then you see it a year later when you teach it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're science specialist and you, you mentioned um, a little earlier when you were at the studio school in DC that um, that architect who was doing that sort of designing um, for that vacant, that vacant lot, which sounds like, I mean, that's STEM before STEM was, you know, the hot buzzword. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so that's kind of, you know, along the, in, in the realm of science as well, right? Science technology. Um, have you always been really into science as a kid? Were you really into science? Yeah. You know, I, engineering is probably my favorite, you know, I really love engineering and just the whole, you know, idea of optimizing systems. So, so I love engineering and I do love science. I love the scientific method. And I think, and I love nature, um, you know, animals and plants. And um, I think it's really, really important that we recognize how connected everyone is. And I also, I guess I've always been interested in people, I'm most interested in people, but if you want to understand people, you have to understand animals, you have to understand our biology and our chemistry. Um, so, um, so yeah, I have, you know, when I was in school, I didn't have science, <laughs> you know, like my whole elementary school, it was just reading, writing, and arithmetic, you know, uh, learning algorithms. But I think if I had had more science, I would have been really, really into it. But I really didn't get science until until high school biology. I mean, I had a little bit in middle school, but, um, and I did love high school biology. Mm -hmm. But at, at that point, as you mentioned earlier, you had a, ha had all those years of disengagement. You know, imagine, imagine if you had if you'd been getting your hands dirty and and conducting experiments and observing um you know maybe it maybe it would have been different for those years those elementary middle school years yeah i i agree and I, that's one reason why i love doing science with young kids so they can just because it it's something natural for people i think science like the scientific approach is natural and people really are curious you know and once you realize oh you know i can make a hypothesis about what's going to happen and then I can test it out and see what happens. I think everybody likes that. I, I think everybody likes that to some degree. I, it's just sort of natural human 
curiosity, I think. And I yeah. love introducing that to kids. You know, I was thinking about if you were going to ask me what one of my favorite things is about teaching science at the Tobin, like, I just love if you get kindergartners around paper plates with worms on them, you know, and you have like, you've got like a night crawler and you've got like a different kind of worm and, you know, just just observing is, is so uh, exciting and beautiful and wonderful. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, science is all about observing and, and it's so hands-on and, and, you know, being close up and watching, you know, watching the worms and, and getting your hands dirty really. And so this past year remote, you know, with remote learning and teaching, that must have been just extraordinarily hard as a science teacher because that that is a discipline that you really need to be be touching and feeling and watching. So, I mean, how 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 have you had to adapt and stuff that you usually teach while while doing it through a screen? Yeah, um, so that's a big reason why we switched to have me teach math movement this year. You know, so. Um, because all of the kits that I normally would be using with kids, uh, most of them weren't very um, well, it wasn't going to be easy to adapt them for the remote environment, you know, like, again, kindergarten would have all these live, we have all these live animals that we'd be working with, and we'd be observing fish and earthworms and, and frogs, you know, and um, uh, it was going to be really hard to make that work. And I just didn't want kids watching videos with me. You know, it's, it's about the hands-on um, learning. So, so I talked to Mr. T and Missy Kamo, and that's why um, most of my science classes converted to math movement classes this year. So, um, you know, I mean, math is critical for science. You have to understand your math. If you, you know, this is the language of science, right, is math. And so, um, so instead, I've been sort of supporting kids with these really critical basic building block skills. And I'm looking forward to getting back to the hands-on stuff when we're back in person. Um, and we did have some kits um, that were going to come through um, one of the school's generous partners. Um, but that ended up falling through for the winter. But I, I am going to get some materials into kids' hands in the next, uh, at least in the next couple of weeks since that other thing fell through. So my third, some of my third graders will be doing some, um, some hands-on science things in the last, the last few months of school. But I'm, I'm very excited to get back to it next year. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's, I'm sure the third graders will, will, be, will be thrilled <laughs> to, be, to be touching things and doing science and using those kits again. Um, and they're probably familiar with, with, with that from last year, because you probably taught a lot of those students last year, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the third graders in Ms. Scott's class, I had almost all of them when they were second graders with Ms. Hoff. So, so yeah, they did. So we did so many wonderful, um, projects with the second graders. They did a lot with rocks and, um, we did a great engineering unit. Um, yeah. Well, you um, are such a like a passionate teacher, and I, you know, I think that you you really incorporate sort of a lot your experience as a student and maybe what didn't work for you, and you really think about that as you plan for your students, and you make it exciting, and you are so like clearly excited to be teaching it, and I think anybody watching you can see that. Um, so, um, if you weren't a teacher. You are such a passionate teacher, but if you were not a teacher, what would you be doing? And you have that sort of passion for anything else? That's, I thought you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> and and um, this is a really good place for me. Teaching is a really good place for me because um, it's, it's important. You know, I think it's a really important and meaningful job and it's, Every day there's something new, there's something challenging, and it's about people. And these are, you know, I, I really am interested in people. I love people. Um, so I think this is the best place for me. Um, I can't I can't really think of another job like profession that I would really want to do. However, um, I will tell you that the favorite job that I had that was not teaching. Uh, a job that I loved was delivering pizza for, for Domino's <laughs> in the nineties. Uh, and I, I, that was, that was like a meditative job for me. It was so, so I, I just loved it because I like driving. I love listening to music. I had a Honda Accord with a moonroof 
and a, a great stereo and um and connecticut is gorgeous and in the 90s like uh, there wasn't there wasn't all of the food delivery so this was exciting for people everybody was happy to see me i just got to drive around these beautiful connecticut roads and listen to my music and everybody was happy to see me and uh and they would I had to ring the bell because they weren't cell phones, you know, I'd ring the bell and then I got to see inside everybody's houses. And so that was satisfying <laughs> my sort of curiosity. I got to know all of the neighbor, the neighborhoods, you know, and, and the different houses. And so it sort of satisfied my curiosity for people. And then it was just so peaceful and pleasant for me to just be listening to my tunes and driving around town and have everyone happy to see me. So, so I really enjoyed that. I don't, you know, it's not the same now with all of the Uber drivers competing to deliver things and get their tips and sure. leave it on the doorstep and what have you. But, but uh, I did love that. I did love that job. Simpler times, right? Uh -huh. um, have you had any really horrible jobs? Uh, I don't think so. Let me think about this. My very first job ever, that was a pretty bad job, but it, not too bad. I was a telemarketer. And oh, yeah. So that's rough. Yeah, I sold, uh, I sold, you know, magazines. It was like, uh, Mr. Gordon, can you hear me okay? Great. <laughs> this is just a real quick courtesy call to let you know that your subscription to McCall's is coming up for renewal. And it's not interested, not interested. <laughs> I can keep this coming out to you at the discount rate, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I did that for three months and um, I didn't really care for that. But, uh, but you have to be, you have to. Well. It paid well. You have to be able to take a lot of rejection in that job. Um, I bet. Yeah, you know the the company wanted us to keep going and keep pushing every lead to the very very end, but um, many of us realized that you could just go right to the next call. You know, so I didn't. I I wouldn't push people because that was it, it. Was you know the saddest part was the people who were who thought when they picked up the phone that it was going to be like a niece or a nephew or something. Hello, and then you just feel terrible. You know, I really do not like. I I'm not cut out for sales. You know, I don't want to sell people stuff. You know. Yeah, I had a similar job. It wasn't exactly telemarketing. It was when I was in college, um, but it was for like the the fundraising for the university mm -hmm. so i felt i felt okay about it i was calling um alum alumni of of the university of wisconsin and they had been i believe i was only calling like previous donors mm -hmm. so it's people who had already given in previous years so something that that obviously they believed in and they wanted to do so it was slightly easier i wasn't like trying to sell them on something that that maybe they didn't want or need but even so i still got rejection in that um and, and, you know, it's hard. It's hard to call strangers. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. You are a creative person. You have, um, you have performed original raps. You have, um, you have written poems. You have spearheaded the Tobin Talent Show, which was awesome. So you clearly are a creative person and, and believe in creativity. What, um, do you have any sort of creative outlet when you have some time? Well, you know what, like a lot of people who've come on your podcast, I like cooking. So I do a lot of cooking. I do love music, but um, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't practiced. I used to play the piano and I was pretty serious all the way through college, but I haven't really played in the last 20 years. Um, piano, uh, I don't actually like playing keyboards. I only like playing real uh, pianos, and uh, I've been living in an apartment for the past <laughs> for the past twenty years. So I don't. I'm I'm kind of concerned about neighbors and so on. But mm. um, I do like cooking. I, I like cooking a lot. Do you have any specialty dishes? Yeah, um, I'm I'm a pescatarian, so I make pescatarian mm. dishes. Um, I make a really nice spicy shrimp. It's kind of like a curry kind of um, thing with green peppers and tomatoes and cream, garlic, like a little smoked paprika or like uh, chipotle and adobo. Probably my, my signature dishes, and I make a really nice eggplant parmesan. So like I will never order it in restaurants because I think mine is far superior <laughs> but that's a lot of work so I, I only do that you know like special occasions like my dad will ask me to make that for him but 
Um, but I do make a killer eggplant parmesan. Oh, I hope to try it someday. I love, I love eggplant. I love anything, anything parm. I mean, it's can't go wrong. Um, are there any skills that you, you do not have and wish you did? I mean, for, like for me, it's definitely playing an instrument. I never really learned how to play an instrument. I love music. I, I'm always listening to music in the car, at home, anytime like I'm by myself out for a walk, I always have music on. Um, but I never learned how, and I wish I could just like pick up a guitar and strum. Um, do you, are there any skills that you wish you had? Of course. Um, I'm always striving to be a better listener. That's sort of my bit, you know, I would really like to be a better listener. I get very, I get distracted and I get excited by what people are telling me. And I think of other things to ask them, you know, but I, I really like to be, um, be a better listener and really be able to absorb what people are telling me very well, you know, um, and just focus in on the other person. So that's, that's sort of a lifelong thing I'm working on. What, what a self-reflective answer, Anna. <laughs> um, how, how do you de-stress other than, you know, I know you like to cook. Um, we don't always have the time to, to, you know, put together a, a you know, four-star meal. Um, or the five-star meal? How many stars do meals get? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I do I do love Thanksgiving though. Yeah, I'll put on my tunes and I'll cook the whole day. That's a very react, you know, cook all the, all the morning. I love, I love that. That's very relaxing for me. I like learning new physical skills that are a little bit challenging or dangerous because then I can't think about anything else. I have to focus on the, the physical skills. So like this past spring and summer, I was roller skating outdoors and I hadn't done that since I was a kid. And you really have to, you really have to focus. You have to pay attention because otherwise you're going to hit a twig and you go down, you know? So, so I love that because I, I had to really focus on, yeah, focus on everything that I'm doing, all my technique in the moment. And then I, I think I mentioned in the winter also, um, we, I, I, I was, I took up snowboarding and I'd never done that before, but it's sort of the same thing. Like I have to, I can't be thinking about school. I can't be thinking about my kids and what they need or my parents and what they need. If you're snowboarding, you have to be snowboarding and that's it, or you're just going to go down. So I love, I love that sort of, um, I guess, risky, risky sports uh, <laughs> because, because you just have to focus right in on what you're doing. Right. It's, it's the physical and the mental energy that it takes, right? It's just like all, all encompassing. And being outside. I mean, being outside is great. So I'll, I'll take a vigorous hike too, like a, like a, a, like a hike with some elevation gain or something that that's good. But, but if there's the added skill piece, then it's more relaxing for me actually. Yeah. How did your sons um, enjoy the snowboarding? Um, that's a good question. Um, um, snowboarding is very hard at the very beginning you know so there were several sessions when they were like they couldn't even stand up like <laughs> you know many I, I would go and I didn't have I mean we were all beginners and so I would just put my board over to the side and my job was just picking my kids up you know like go down and then when they fall up I pick them up then they fall down and they pick them up you know so they're getting there by the end of by the you know by the end of we did it for you know two and a half months and by the end of two and a half months um I think they were they were starting to enjoy it but it's not a passion yet because it, it was hard to learn but I think I think we'll do it again next year and I think they were taking pride in it and um and then after that, if they, I think you have to kind of get good enough before you can decide to throw in the towel all the way, you know, before you decide you don't like it, you have to kind of learn it a little bit, but yeah, definitely. Um, it's like that with most things, right? And like playing an instrument, like, you know, um, I have a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. Um, one, I think you ha have asked me is um, about any books that I loved as a child and if I read those to my to my kids now uh, do you have did you have any favorite books as a kid and if so do, do you read them to to your sons yes well yes and no because yes I had favorite books as a kid um uh when I was a kid I really loved the 101 Dalmatians book <laughs> like the actual the actual novel of it um uh but but I couldn't get my kids to read it. They don't like, they don't really like, uh, 
um, fan, you know, fantasy fiction with, you know, animal characters. So, so no, um, uh, there's so many wonderful books that have been published since I was a little kid. They don't, um, I don't have a lot of my favorites that I shared with them. I, you know, I like the mouse and the motorcycle, you know, some Beverly Cleary, they, they like that. Okay. But, um, they're nonfiction guys and, um, and also like dog man, you know, graphic novels and stuff. And those weren't, those weren't around when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, I do not, I never liked the giving tree. I never liked that book. At all. <laughs> I know you said that was a favorite of yours, right? I loved it. And, but many people have, have told me what you just told me that they, they did not like it. Um, and I understand why I just, I love it because it has like the meaning it I've taken different meanings me, meaning from the book like throughout different stages of my life and I keep kind of every time I read it every few years I'll read it and um I kind of have a different take on it or maybe like I'll empathize with the boy or the man or the tree in a different way and I just love that that's what I love about that book is it kind of changes as I do um, but I understand how it's, you know, the ar- I understand the argument that um, the boy doesn't treat the tree well, and it's a sad book. <laughs> is that yeah. why you? Is that why you didn't like it? I yeah, I feel like I feel like in real life, normally love is two sided, and if you're giving, then you're normally also then there. It's not a sacrifice to give and love someone because you get you normally get something more than just being sat on, you know, and right. cut off into pieces. So, so, um, so I guess I didn't feel like it was a very healthy relationship for it just to be so one, one way. And, and I also thought it was sort of bitter and cynical to see it, to see this love relationship as being one way when I think the love relationships that I've experienced have been so, um, you know, back and forth, you know, I feel like when you give love, you tend to get love. And so I just think it's, it's sort of a, you know, Shel Silverstein is a very interesting person with a lot of, um, a lot of dark, uh, a lot of dark aspects, I think, to his, his persona. Okay, that's interesting. I don't see, I don't know much about him. But um, so that's interesting, because maybe that would kind of, you know, change the lens through which I see the book. But, you know, I think, for me looking at the relationship more as like a um it's like a mother-son relationship so it's like instead of you know like like you mentioned like relationships of love are usually go, go both ways but I think as a parent or as a, mo- a mother or a parent if you have a child even if the child maybe doesn't always treat you well doesn't feel like they give back or appreciate you I don't think you can like turn off that that love. I don't know. No, of course not. So I see you're appreciating the the unconditionality of the tree's love. Yes. And I think in some in some way, even though she's like she's mistreated, um I think it still like nourishes her to be give to to just give to him because of that unconditional love. He does say and the tree was happy. yes I still felt I still felt very upset (laughs) yes you know as a child seeing what was happening I felt very upset sure yeah no I understand it is it's definitely problematic in some ways but wow this this is a deep dive on uh, the giving tree Anna (laughs) um so last question I want to ask you is I always like to talk tv with the guests because I know I love to hear what people watch and I know people who listen to the podcast love to love to get recommendations so um are there any shows that you have enjoyed recently i'm so sorry michael because i i don't actually watch i don't actually watch any tv we don't we don't have a tv and we don't have netflix i mean we'll watch stuff on youtube you know i could tell you some youtube channels that we'll see but i actually have not i really have not seen shows in a very long time wow what about I didn't books? actually grow up watching tv but yeah mm-hmm. that's probably healthy um what about books have you read any good books recently 
Yeah. Um, you know, I read, I don't, you know, I don't read a lot of like novels and so forth because, um, because I'm tired in the evening and I don't have a lot of time, but I really, really enjoyed a uh, poetry book that I read this past year, which is by a poet named Terrence Hayes. And it's called um, American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin. And um, was he's a, Terrence Hayes is a wonderful poet. He's a MacArthur um, recipient. And, uh, you know, a sonnet is like a really closed and tight form, but it was, it's just amazing to see what a brilliant author, modern author can do with, uh, modern poet can do with the form. And so the point, there's, they're all sonnets, but each one is so different and he covers many, many different topics. Um, at the time he wrote, a lot of them were related to, uh, there's some of them related to Donald Trump. I don't think he ever mentions him by name and those were kind of surprising and shocking. So it might be sort of past its time for the book, but there were all these different themes that I thought were really powerful and deep and also funny. And so I, I really, I enjoyed it. I recommended it to Mr. T. I don't remember what uh, what um, circumstances. And I know everybody doesn't like poetry. You know, like my husband would never read a book of poetry. But um, but I, if you at all are intrigued by it, you know, you can get it from the library and see what you think. I thought it was really good. Could you say the poet's name one more time? Yeah, Terrence Hayes. Terrence Hayes. And it was American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin. What a great title. Really yeah. All. all right good recommendation thanks anna i'm writing it down all right well we have been talking for a long time and i know you have things to do as do i so um, i just want to thank you so much for coming on here i know you know you were a little nervous about doing it but um i really appreciate it for uh and you know i, I know our listeners appreciate it also to get to hear about your story and, and learn a little bit about you and I feel lucky and happy to be at the Tobin. There's so much, there's so much creativity and talent and caring, love, you know, skill. It's a wonderful place to be. And um, it's exciting that people have all these different projects going. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Anna. I will see you tomorrow. All right. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you, Michael. Bye. Hi, Elia. I'm Sigourney. How are you, my friend? Um, pretty good. Good. Thank you for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Um, yeah. My name is Elie Hara. I'm in the sixth grade. Um, I've been in the Tobin for um, more than five years, um, to be exact, six years. Um, and I'm really happy to be here. Great. So you started here in what grade? Um, kindergarten. Kindergarten. Do you remember who your kindergarten teacher was? Um, yes. I had Miss Alonzo. Oh. And then I, I transferred to Ms. Valentine's class in like the mid of the year. Great. Um, what's it like to be back in school after all this time being at, being at home? It's a really big surprise. I love school, you know, now that I'm back in it because, you know, there's different things at home. For example, I have my bed right next to me, my, de my desk right there. So it's really tempting to just, you know, turn my camera off, go lay down in my bed and just do whatsoever. But it feels really good to be back in it. Has it been hard to come back into school and not being able to like turn off your screen or take a break or zone out, but like having to be really engaged the whole day? Does that has that made, like made you really tired at the end of the day? Um, in some sometimes yes. The first week of school, I was happy to be back. Um, yesterday, Thursday, um, after the end of the day, I was a little tired because you know when you're at home, you have I feel like I have a bigger period of breaks than being here. Uh, for example, my lunch break would be about 45 minutes, but here I feel it's 20 minutes. So I, I feel the difference, but I love the difference. I don't know if that I can explain myself by saying that. Yeah, that makes sense. It's good to be back into like, normal you know, schedule. the normal, normal schedule. Yeah. But yeah, the, the in-person day is a lot longer than the remote learning day. That's for sure. I feel it too as a teacher. Um, so we were talking uh, yesterday and you mentioned that you have a podcast as well, right? That you host? 
Yes. Could you uh, talk a little bit about that and how you came up with the idea and how long you've been doing it? Sure. So um, when I came up with the idea um, was when I knew that one of my friends was struggling at school. Um, and I know a lot of kids around the world are not just by social anxiety, bullying and depression and a lot of different problems that kids suffer. So I wanted to, you know, put my voice out there and give motivation to those who are dealing with that. And not just that, but, you know, talk about God and how if you pray, you, that can be solved in a matter of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, or even years. But um, so I like to give that motivation to others so that, you know, they can keep going, you know, because um, there's a there's a lot of attempted suicides and happily sometimes you know people are able to stop that but sometimes people can't so I want people to know that you don't have to give up on yourself um, to get away from your problems because that's not the way to do it you just have to calm down for example go with the teacher deal with it you know instead of getting physical or doing harm to yourself physically and you can do um, you can do um, mistakes to yourself emotionally and, you know, harm, your, harm yourself emotionally too. So I, I like to focus on that so people can hear a voice and, you know, that people are with them. People do support them, you know, no matter what, their age, their size, their height, and anything like that. I love that um, you're not just creating content for fun or just to get listeners or viewers, but you're actually dealing with really important issues that are meaningful and that will help people. So thank you for doing that. Do you, on the podcast, do you provide some uh, helpful resources that if people are struggling with these issues like anxiety and depression, do you give them some resources that they could check out, like maybe websites or anything like that? Um, when the first episode that I had then, I did not have a resource because I was not sure how I can mention that. I was a, a little nervous, my, you know, my first podcast being yeah. like, oh, what's gonna happen? But, you know, later um, on different, you know, different other episodes, um, I started, you know, trying to help people and just in case they didn't need help, sometimes in the descriptions, I would leave a link, um, you know, to, a, for example, a suicide prevention, you know, so, you know, for example, you're thinking about suicide and help, um, for example, you know, please, I need help, how do I do this? And they can help you control yourself, you know, in different ways, situations, and stuff like that. Great, great. And you mentioned that your father kind of helps you with the podcast. Yeah, my dad um, is pretty experienced in that type of, you know, way. My dad was really supportive of me, but not just because of what I'm doing, but knowing that I'm trying to help. Um, and not just that. I think that. Me talking, I like to take my own words for advice. So if I was ever in a problem, and I'm like, okay, so if I'm talking about this, I should do it by myself. You know, I should do it, you know, with myself, control myself. And my dad is pretty experienced in that. My dad's a pastor, so my dad knows how to motivate me and keep going. And you know, in really good ways. And I, I think that my dad is one of the reasons that I, that I actually started because, but in the beginning, I was like. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. But my dad is like, look, it's okay to be nervous. Mm -hmm. And you're not always going to get love. There's always going to be hate. But for those that are hate, it's because they're dealing with something. And they need they need something to lay off their anger. And I'm like, yeah. So then I started little by little. And I guess I, you know, I kind of, you know. Kind of got the hang of it. Yeah. So he's, he supports you, but kind of lets you take control of it and use you know your your um using your words and kind of giving your advice and your thoughts but he's just kind of there to support which is great it's really coming from you um and what what's the name of the podcast LU? um i've been trying to work on a name you okay. know just not a random name that i just put out there i want to get a name that will actually get the attention of people but also you know have you know the words can be actually impact because um, some like one word can change somebody's life, and that's for sure. So for now, I do not have a name for my podcast, but just so people can see, I uh, have it at LU's podcast. You know, um, I know it's pretty simple, but I'm trying to find the perfect, you know, the, yeah. a perfect you know, title for it. Um, yeah. Don't want to rush it. 
So if anyone listening now wants to go check out your podcast, they can just search for LU's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker.com. Um, I think, yeah, I think those are. And if I'm missing one, I will have to go check. But uh, those are the main ones, you know. Um, I upload right now. I haven't been uploading as much because I've been working on a little new project with my podcast um, to be a little bit more organized. Um, so oh. yeah, me and my dad been working on a better, you know, organization, and we're gonna come up with something better and something that can get even more attention, so people can listen and you know feel like they're you know somebody's with them and not they're not just by themselves. Well, I'm new. I'm new to podcasting also, so maybe you and I can just kind of share tips for each other as we keep learning. <laughs> All right, Ellie. Well, thank you so much for for coming and for sharing. This is um. It, it's great to hear that you have this project going on that is really meaningful and is going to help people. So thanks for sharing with our listeners. And um, it's great to see you. Great to have you back at school. Same as well. Um, I hope you, everybody there that has been listening has a great day. And yeah. All right, buddy. Have a wonderful day. I'll Thank see you. you. All right. Welcome to the week 20 Beard Power Rankings. This week we have a surprise in the top spot. Um, We have Mr. Z at the top this week. I saw Mr. Zimmerman at the park the other day. It was a Monday or Tuesday, one of those beautiful, sunny, warm spring days. And um, Mr. Z's got like a nice spring beard going. It's kind of perfect for the season. It's not too long. It's not too thick and bushy but it's a really nice spring beard. And for that reason, I have placed him at the top of the rankings this week. Uh, in the second spot, we got Mr. T. Third spot, me. Um, Mr. Z's beard kind of got me thinking about my beard is, is I don't think I'm ready to kind of tone my beard down to make it a spring beard. Um, I know some people say that when the weather gets warmer, it's time to shave, but I don't really play by their rules. I like my winter beard. I'm going to keep it even though the season has changed. Uh, in the fourth spot, we have Mr. Patrick. Then we have Coach Sam. And finally, smooth as butter, Mr. Perumba. Thank you to my two guests this week, Ms. Carter and L.U., Uh, And thank you for listening. I want to wish a happy Passover to those out there who celebrate. And any students listening, please keep those permission forms coming. I absolutely love having your voice on the podcast. Um, Everybody have a wonderful weekend as I record this on a Friday. Uh, Until next time, be safe, be kind, be you. I love you all.